0: Let's just pray. Father God, we just acknowledge today that we need to hear your voice speaking. So Father, I just pray for a cleansing, Lord, a filling of the Holy Spirit, that the message we would hear today is a message from you. We thank you, Lord, for your word, and we look into it today, to its pages, and we ask you to speak clearly to us in this place, that the only voice we would hear is your voice, word of God. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would just enable us to understand what's being said and empower us to do what's been asked. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Angus Buchan was originally a Zambian maize and cattle farmer, and he was Scottish. He was of Scottish descent, you'll be glad to know. Uh, he was forced to move into Greytown, South Africa, in 1978 because of great political unrest in the country. Angus was a, a farmer, he farmed a number of years without ever really seeing a good harvest in this new place. Conditions weren't good, a lack of rain, intense heat and a lack of good materials all contributed to a very difficult farming situation. In the late 90s, the country was going through its worst drought in recent years. It was so bad a drought they'd even given the drought a name. It was called El Nino, but he never heard of a drought with a name before. Angus himself, he was not a university graduate, he was not a public speaker, or a celebrity, but a farmer. He managed to gather a crowd of 35,000 people into a stadium in Durban one year to hear him speak, and to join him in prayer to God for rain. The El Nino 90s had resulted in complete devastation for local farmers. And they were worn out from having to deal with violence on a daily basis. This was not a safe place. Not only was it a a place of a drought, it was a place of violence and danger every day. Farm murders had become commonplace and the people there were just afraid, even for their lives. They were desperate and they needed a miracle. Angus looked at the mix of black and white faces in the crowd at the stadium that day and then he uttered, we're going to plant this year and we're going to plant potatoes. Now scientists had warned the farmers not to plant that season unless they had had proper irrigation and Angus knew very well he didn't have the proper materials in place to do this. Planting potatoes, of all things, was a massive risk Traditionally, he was an amazing cattle farmer. His experience was in another area, in another place. Nevertheless, this man prayed and prayed, and he knew the voice of the Lord had spoken to him and said, Plant potatoes. (laughs) So he went back to his farm, hired two extra farms, and planted potatoes into the dust. Doesn't sound very good conditions, does it? (laughs) If the crop had failed here, he would have lost absolutely everything he had. He had a young family, wife. Now, Angus, as I said, was from a Scottish descent, and probably like many people from Scotland, many men, he had a fiery uh, character. And before he became a Christian, he was a very aggressive and wayward kind of guy. And uh, he tried to do everything himself with his own strength. The change in Angus's life came about when he gave his life, his heart, his whole family and his farm to Jesus. This happened at a particular time. He went went to Greytown Methodist Church and he responded to the preacher's message to give your life to Jesus. And he trusted him with everything. He says, I trust him with my, with my life, my family's life, and with my whole farm, everything. I put everything into God's hands. So soon he had this same fiery passion, but this time this passion started to move in faith. This new faith in Jesus made, didn't make his life particularly easier. He still went through troubles and difficulties and tragedy. But it gave him peace beyond understanding. And it assisted him to make sense of his life and give him hope for the future. This week we're going to have a final look at the book of Haggai. This series has been called It's Time to Rebuild. Just to remind ourselves, for those that haven't heard the other messages, of the context, the year year was 520 BC, and it was a year of crisis in Jerusalem. The Jews, who had returned from exile in Babylon, had hoped for joyful times, but instead they had experienced year after year of drought. The result was a food shortage and poverty had really hit them hard. They had also lost their heart to serve the Lord. And the work that they had to do of rebuilding the temple had been put on hold. And 16 years had passed since the laying of the foundation of the temple and it was far from being finished. In 536 BC, Ezra had brought about 50,000 Jews back to the Holy Land. They'd rebuilt the altar, started the sacrifices, and in 535 the foundation was laid for the temple. But they had opposition to the work, difficulty and trouble, and enemies attacking, and the work stopped. Haggai himself was a prophet, and appears to have been well known in the community. Not much is said about him, but one thing is for sure, like all great prophets before him, he had a passion for For God's cause, Haggai saw that for this generation, the most important thing was rebuilding the temple of the Lord. Now, the word of the Lord in Haggai comes through the prophets, and it's important to realize that the message is inspired directly from the Lord. It's his voice that is speaking through his prophet. The message was delivered to two particular leaders of the people Zerubbabel, who was the governor of the Jewish nation, and Joshua, who was the high priest first two messages in the series that we had tr- traced the first two messages of prophecy from Haggai part one was called putting God first in Haggai chapter one in the sixth month Haggai spoke the first message from the Lord and he rebuked he gave God's people into trouble <laughs> for ignoring their spiritual life while focusing their attention on the material things of life you see they, they stopped doing God's work but they were building their own houses and some of their houses were quite luxurious And the sin wasn't that they weren't allowed to have good houses. The sin was they hadn't put God first. They had their priorities mixed up. And for 16 years the harvest had been poor. And what does the Lord say about it there? He said it was because they'd been disobedient to him that they'd experienced this drought. The Lord says you expected much in the harvest he's talking about. You expected much but it turned out to be little. What you brought home I blew away. So why was this? Why was this happening? Again, the Lord says, you're not putting me first. You're not building my house. You're not prioritizing me. But praise the Lord, a revival started, a a renewing of the heart of the people to respond in obedience to the Lord. And the people started to rebuild the temple, started to put God first. This was a very important step of obedience for the people. Part two was called The Glory of the New House in Haggai chapter two, verses one to nine. You see, the people had now started to walk in obedience, doing what they'd been told to do by the Lord, but then they just started to get discouraged as sometimes happens. And what happened to them? Well, they looked back. They looked back and they saw that the previous temple that had been destroyed was better than the one they were building. It just seemed like they were never going to achieve something that was as good. So, what was the point? Let's just give up. But God says this to them. Does this seem to you like nothing? Do not despise these small beginnings. So God clearly says, you know, don't despise this work. I've asked you to do it. It's important. It's for me. The size doesn't matter. It's the fact that you're walking in obedience. And he gives them some words of encouragement. The biggest word of encouragement is, it's not by might nor by power. But by my spirit, says the Lord, he promises it's his power that's going to accomplish this work. Isn't that good? That we don't need to rely on our strength to accomplish the task that the Lord might give us to do. And he says to them, do not fear. You know, sometimes maybe that man would have felt like that in that situation. Afraid. What's going to happen? Just what is going to happen if I step out in faith and I obey what the Lord has asked me to do? God says, do not be afraid. I am with you part three was called obedience leads to blessing that was uh, last week from Haggai chapter 2 verses 10 to 19 this was Haggai's third message from the Lord and this time it's pointed out that the people had been defiled and that's maybe not an everyday word but the word defiled means unclean it's describing the fact that there are sinful people as we all are and that sin needs to be dealt with if it isn't dealt with it's going to contaminate the work it's going to make it unclean And the first step, the blessing is obedience. An obedient heart is very important to God. God said of King David, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, for he will do everything I want him to do. Now we noted last week that obedience does not mean perfection. Praise the Lord. (laughs) It doesn't mean it. Do you remember Peter? You know, he launched out off the boat. He had faith for that. But when he started walking a few steps, he got afraid and he started to sink. But it was good that Peter obeyed the Lord and got out of that boat, wasn't it? We heard about that last week from my mum. An obedient heart is important to the Lord. But it's not perfection. It's to do with true repentance. And remember in David's life, He was not perfect, he made major mistakes, but his heart was true to the Lord and he truly repented of the things that he did wrong, of his sins, and he obeyed the Lord in his life as a whole. Now, the application here for Israel was they responded again, praise God, positively. They walked in obedience, they repented of their sins, and we heard last week that Joshua, as their high priest representative, there was this image of being covered in filthy rags, and the Lord takes it away and replaces it with clean garments. As a picture of the Lord's mercy and forgiveness for, for his people. But then he says something special. From this day on, I will bless you. Praise the Lord for new beginnings. From this day on, says God, you've moved in obedience. And I'm going to bless you. And you know God is a promising keeping God. And he's a merciful God. After 16 years of being unfaithful. When they show signs of true faith and true obedience and true repentance. God is faithful and he says I will bless you. And even now at this moment. This might all seem good. But it would have seemed very difficult to believe. This people had seen no good harvest in 16 years. Every year they came to their celebration time where they were to celebrate and thank the Lord for all the good that had been provided. And for 16 years, nothing. Can you imagine how despondent you would have been? This was their livelihood, their jobs. So how could this year be any different? But the Lord says this, from this day on I will bless you. From the moment the people started putting God first, not looking back, walking in obedience, the Lord promised blessing. Isn't that good? Final message today. It's called faith at work. Angus Buckin said this the condition for a miracle is difficulty. However, the condition for a great miracle is not difficulty. But impossibility. If you turn to Haggai chapter two, verses twenty to twenty three, that'll be the focus of our verses today. The final part, the final message from the Lord. Haggai chapter two twenty. The word of the Lord came to Haggai a second time on the twenty-fourth day of the month. Tells rebel governor of Judah that I will shake the heavens and the earth. I will overturn royal thrones and shatter the power of the foreign kingdoms. I will overthrow chariots and their drivers. Horses and their riders will fall, each by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will take you, my servant zerubbabel son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord. And I will make you like my signet ring. For I have chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty. Amen. This fourth message from the Lord took place on the same day as the last message, the third message. But this time it's pointed to Zerubbabel, who, as we said, was the governor, the representative and leader of the Jewish community. So who was this man? He played a very important part in God's plan for his people. He was not a prophet like Haggai or a priest like Joshua, but a leader of the Jewish community. It was under his leadership that the exiles came back from Babylon to Jerusalem in Ezra too. And he was given the political authority as governor of Jerusalem, Jerusalem by Cyrus, the king of Persia. This is important. He came from the royal line of David. He was also, therefore, an ancestor of Jesus Christ. He is mentioned in that line in Matthew 1 verse 12 and Luke 3 verse 27. The royal line of David which led to the Messiah. He was part of it. So though Zerubbabel was of royal descent, he was not Judah's king. This was just a little district of Judah. It was a minor region uh, in the Persian Empire of 120, much greater places. So try and get your head around the scenario. These were not a large number of people. And there was a great many people around them that, that could easily intimidate. Yet this word is directed to Zerubbabel as a representative of the kingly line. Firstly, I want to say today that we can see from this passage that God is in control. This message to Zerubbabel was a word of encouragement. As a leader of the work, he would have needed special encouragement. You know, leaders who step out and do works like like this do need special encouragement. It can be quite disheartening sometimes. You see, the people were looking to their leader for the promised blessing. They were looking to the Lord, expecting this great harvest. But it was an impossible situation. There were great empires, much bigger around them, in opposition to them. And in comparison, this group of Jews were just a tiny group, a small remnant of people. And what would happen to the people as they continued to work on the rebuilding of the temple? What would happen to this coming harvest? Would it indeed be great? All the signs, all the outward natural signs were against this happening. For 16 years, nothing. How could this year be any different? But God encouraged Zerubbabel's faith. First, the Lord says, I will shake the heavens and the earth. I will overturn royal thrones and shatter the power of foreign kingdoms. You see, this message would encourage the rubble in the situation he was in. What God is saying is, the kingdom of God is mightier than any other kingdom. The Lord is mighty to save, and He promises to save His people. And He's already promised to bless them. And God doesn't break His promises. When the Lord says, I will shake the heavens and the earth, it is repeating a statement mentioned earlier in Haggai 2, verse 6, where he said, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth. Now, there are many different interpretations of this verse, but I'd just like to read from Hebrews, uh, where this is applied directly to the New Testament church of believers. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 27 to 29. the words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken that is the created things so that what cannot be shaken may remain therefore since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire so we see here that these words from the Lord in Haggai are actually pointing forward to the future, down that line to the Messiah, the coming of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ and in fact looking forward again to his second coming you know there's going to be a day when the Lord Jesus will return and everything on this earth that can be shaken will be shaken but you know one thing will be still standing in that day The kingdom of God. The church of Jesus Christ shall remain standing. You see, God is in control. He promises in the future there will be a new heaven and a new earth. So now Zerubbabel is being personally encouraged to continue with the work in confidence. Knowing that God is in control... And he will bring the word to completion. His kingdom shall never be shaken. I can still remember Bill Keaton saying that phrase all the way through the coffee house Project and I think it's good to relate to the fact that in New Beginnings we have experienced what we're talking about today. That the kingdom of God cannot be shaken. That God is in control. And as you move in simple obedience to him, God moves in great power. And he controls the situation and completes it. God always completes what he begins. (laughs) And that includes our salvation. It includes the work of God in our life. This verse here from Paul in Philippians 1 verse 6 says to believers, He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So we don't need to worry about our own salvation experience. The Lord is working on us. But what has God called us to? Maybe he's called us to something that we haven't quite felt like we can complete. Is there a call on your life you need to respond to? Have you started something but you're not carrying on, carrying on to completion? Are you feeling discouraged? God's called you to do something and you just feel there's a brick wall in front of you first of all beware of the sins that we mentioned previously putting self ahead of the Lord looking back instead of looking ahead not confessing our sins but possibly the biggest one is unbelief did you know unbelief is a sin? without faith, says the scriptures it is impossible to please God You know, often we think of sins in different regard, but this is a sin. Not believing God is a sin. So God is in control. And then we see a seal of authority. Um, Secondly, God encouraged Zerubbabel by saying this. And I will make you my signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty. A signet ring was worn if you just imagine it, this isn't one, but one <laughs> A signet ring was worn in the king's finger and carried the seal of his royal authority. The stamp of his royal authority. And he used this stamp to stamp all official documents. And it was so important and so critical to authority that he usually carried it on his person at all times. So what is God saying? A word of encouragement to Zerubbabel. Well again he's encouraging his faith. He's saying this, I've chosen you. Don't give up. What an encouragement this would be to him. The Lord is giving his authority to him. To finish the temple. To do the Lord's work. And you know this idea of a a seal of authority. is also a forward look and a picture of the future. When Jesus Christ, the Messiah was coming. To save the lost and to build his temple, the church. You see, as Christians, we are chosen to serve the Lord. Ephesians 1, 11 to 14 says, In him, that's Christ, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will in order that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed. You were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a depositing guarantee, guaranteeing, Our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. And God will bless His word to us. You see, in the Old Testament days, the Israelites were looking forward, eagerly hoping and waiting for the coming of the Messiah, the Savior. The Savior who would do what? The Savior who would deliver them from sins. You see, they were again and again having to give sacrifices. And falling away and coming back and falling away and coming back with the same sacrifices. Jesus God. Jesus is God. Can I just emphasise that? And God became flesh. He lived a sinless life. And he died for our sins on the cross at Calvary. Praise the Lord. Praise God that we live in a time when the price has been paid. The price has been paid once for all. Whether it feels like it or not. And I know in my life it doesn't always feel like it. It's the truth. Jesus paid the price once forever. Jesus, God, God's Son, became flesh, lived a perfect sinless life and died for our sins on the cross. And what is this seal as well? The seal of salvation. The seal of the promised Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is God. Let me just emphasize that. God. The Holy Spirit. Is guaranteed to every believer in Jesus. This is not a force from God. This is not a power. This is not a theory. This is God in every believer. Do you realize that? Do we understand that today? because believers are in Christ they also now share in the great inheritance of the King of Kings, Jesus I don't know all of what that means, I've only experienced, I think we've only experienced this in part but this great inheritance is big, it's the salvation of many, 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 many souls and we're going to be a part of that we're going to see it all clearly one day but there's also that inheritance of power of God within us now notice something here when something is sealed what's the point of sealing something? it's sealed nothing's going to touch it until the time praise God that when he provides us with a guarantee of salvation and a guarantee of the Holy Spirit it is not something we need to worry about anymore we don't hold this together I don't believe it's possible to lose our salvation. It's not possible. God himself says in the scriptures, he holds us in his hands. He holds us together. And the Holy Spirit dwells within every believer. Christ in us. The hope of glory. Praise the Lord. He dwells in you and he dwells in me. If we are true believers in Jesus Christ we are actually now the temple of the Holy Spirit. In 1 Peter 2, 4-5 to think about this concept of the, being the temple. He says, you are coming to Christ who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people but he was chosen by God for great honour. And you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple, what's more you are holy priests, through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God isn't that a good statement there sacrifices that please God now, do you know why it pleases God, because of the cornerstone Jesus Christ and the work that he has accomplished, and as we join as living stones in the house of God, it's pleasing to God now so, as I an encouragement to you today, we are living stones in God's temple, which is the church of Jesus Christ. What a privilege to be part of this. Thirdly, faith moves mountains. Now it's clear when we go back to the Zerubbabel there that this was going to require significant faith to continue and complete this task. Zerubbabel faced a mountain of difficulties, uh, opposition from enemies, discouragement, insufficient resources, poor harvests. He was going to require great faith in God to help him to move ahead. And the prophet Zechariah who prophesied along Haggai in Judah at the same time said these words to Zerubbabel. This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. What are you, O mighty mountain? Before Zerubbabel you will become level ground. Then he will bring out the capstone to shouts of, God bless it, God bless it. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple, and his hands will also complete it then you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. This just reminds us and encourages us not to let problems or difficulties dishearten us and cause us to give up. Those mountains, think of them as difficulties, problems, things that come against us. That mighty mountain, it says, will become level ground, a clear path. Jesus used this same figurative speech to symbolise the obstacles encountered in our Christian life. In Matthew seventeen twenty, he said, Because you have so little faith. I tell you the truth, that if you had faith as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Charles Wesley says the same thing, in one of his many hymns, he says this, Give me fa- the faith which can remove And sink the mountain to a plain Give me childlike praying love Which longs to build thy house again Thy love let it in my heart o'erpour Let it my ransomed soul devour Faith that moves mountains <clears throat> You see the harvest is plentiful. In Matthew 9 verses 35 to 38 Jesus spoke these words. (coughs) I'll just read in context from verse 35. Jesus went through all the towns and the villages teaching in their synagogues preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds He had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. You see, Jesus was traveling around these small towns, villages. He was teaching people. He was healing people. And great crowds of people were coming to him. But did you notice something that says Jesus had compassion on the people? This is Jesus, King of Kings, Son of God, the Word of God, in the flesh. He had great compassion on everyone who came to him. Isn't it incredible to see God's compassion for us? You know that word for compassion literally means he was wrenched in his gut. A deep down feeling of care and concern and compassion. And why was he responding like this? Because he saw they were harassed and they were helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus saw straight through to the core of the problem in their lives. The people were helpless. They were like sheep without a shepherd. They were lost and they were unable to help themselves. second peter two twenty two to twenty five says this he that is Jesus, he committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he didn't retaliate. when he suffered, he made no threats. instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness by his wounds you have been healed for you were like sheep going astray but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls Jesus had his eyes of compassion set towards the cross at Calvary he was going to once and for all deal with the problem of sin the harassment and helplessness of people was going to be dealt with praise the Lord no longer would people have to be lost no longer would they have to be like sheep without a shepherd. But notice, this is I want us to be encouraged by this today. The harvest is plentiful, he says. He turns to his disciples and he says, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So he makes this statement, the harvest is plentiful. It's an interesting statement. What does he mean by this? Well, in the context of this passage, I believe Jesus is saying that this is a harvest of people. People who are lost. People who feel harassed. People who feel hopeless and helpless. People who need their sins forgiven. People who need a saviour. Doesn't that cover every one of us? I think it does. Then Jesus makes another statement but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field, his harvest field. So you see the problem here? It's not with the harvest. the problem is with the workers there are too few workers so the solution that Jesus gives is pray pray that the Lord of the harvest sends out more workers into his harvest field Jesus is God and it is his harvest field but he has entrusted the task of declaring the good news of the gospel to us we are his workers in that harvest field We're his representatives in the world. Now I want to ask a question today. And it's a serious question. And I know some people here may have been Christians for many years. Maybe some haven't. But this is a serious question of faith today. Do we believe that the harvest is plentiful? And are we praying to the Lord of the harvest for more workers and are we praying for more souls to be saved you see prayer always comes first the prayer meeting is the most important part of any church Angus Bucking called people to pray to the Lord of the Harvest didn't he and the Lord of the Harvest answered with a miracle are we prepared today To be one of those workers. You know sometimes the answer to a prayer like that. Send more workers into the harvest field. I've heard Andy say this before. Sometimes the answer is you. Sometimes not. But we are all workers. Believe me. There is none of us left out. Every one of us has a job to do. In the kingdom of God. But we need to have faith. And this is the emphasis today. Please understand that. this is We've got to have faith in God. A God that is able to do miracles. I'm going to show you another harvest field. Do you recognise it? It's Moody's The word I have for this year for Moody's is harvest for a miracle is difficulty however the condition for a great miracle is not difficulty but impossibility doesn't it look impossible in the natural mind to think that God has a harvest of people in Midysburn but it's not impossible and I believe God wants this small group of believers today To respond in faith, by believing that He is able to do immeasurably more than we can ever ask or imagine according to His power which is at work within us. Ephesians three twenty. You see, this is not too hard for God. In fact, I believe that God has already declared the harvest for Moody's burn. I believe it from my heart. And as we learned in this four-part series in Haggai, our responsibilities as God's people are, firstly, to put God first. Secondly, to make sure and give all the glory, all the glory to God. Thirdly, to be obedient. When he says do something, do it. And that includes repenting of our sin and the promises, obedience leads to blessing. And fourthly, and this is a big one, and you can't proceed without this have faith in God and put it to work put it to action and step one is pray pray in faith believing for miracles in Moody's Burn and the Lord gives promises, I'll just read you some that he gave to his people, he gives these promises to us he says be strong for I am with you, says the Lord I have covenanted with you My spirit remains among you. Do not fear. It's not by might, it's not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this word to us today. I thank you for this people that you have here in Moody's Burn. We acknowledge your word to us and we ask you, Lord, to be obedient to it. And in particular today, Father, I pray that you would increase our faith. When we look out to this town and surrounding areas and we look out to the task ahead of us and we can't see the harvest your word says the faith is the substance of things not yet realised but we believe it's there so Father God you're the Lord of the harvest we do pray you would send more workers into the harvest field and Lord we pray you would bring many, many, many people in this town to know Jesus as their Lord and Saviour. And we are believing God, even though we can't see it with our eyes. We believe it in faith, in the name of Jesus. We claim it, Lord, in the name of Jesus. We pray that as many as there were potatoes in that field when they harvest, as many in the fields of Moody's would be sold, saved. We pray too for family and friends that don't know you as Saviour. We pray in faith, Lord. You don't desire any to be lost and we pray you would draw them to yourself and save them. In Jesus' name, we commit ourselves to you. Amen.